Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad. All right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted from my studios in Old Hilliard. This is exciting. I'm talking to someone north of the United States border. So this is really cool. Uh, really quick intro, Elias Dummer co-founded and fronted one of Canada's most acclaimed worship bands, the City Harmonic. As the group's principal songwriter, he helped pen such hits as Holy Wedding Day and Mountaintop, and as well as, I'm sorry, as well as Manifesto, which served as a theme song for the 2011 National Day of Prayer. The City Harmonic earned 12 GMA Canada Covenant Awards and a Juno Award, which is basically Canada's gra- Grammy equivalent, and before they disbanded in 2017. Uh, Dummer released his solo debut, The Work, Volume 1, in 2019, and was named Breakthrough Artist of the Year in 2020, Covenant Awards, uh, both as a solo artist and with the City Harmonic, his music has garnered more than a hundred million streams to date. Wow, that was a lot. Thanks for sitting through that. that was yeah, sorry. Welcome to the, welcome to Unscripted, my friend. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm I'm Elias Dummer, and all of those things someone nice wrote about me. That's <laughs> that is what's so awkward. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, I I uh, I my wife and I, my wife Megan and I, we've been married almost twenty years now. Um, we have five kids live in Hamilton, spent the last 10 years in Nashville, um, making music and have a few businesses and kind of have a weird little life of mine. And that's, uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm very geeky and I'm interested in just about every deep end conversation and I thoroughly enjoy it. So I'm, I'm probably a bit much for some people, but I enjoy my life anyway. I love it. Well, welcome to Unscripted because I think it's going to be really unscripted. We we don't know. We 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 did talk for a few minutes. So Hamilton is, and I just learned this. It's just outside of Toronto, ish. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just outside Toronto. So it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the New Jersey to Toronto to, to New York. Like okay. Toronto Toronto doesn't quite want us, <laughs> and so Hamilton Hamilton's like the stinky cousin that lives next door. You know. <laughs> But you can pop over to Toronto if you need to. It's close. Oh, yeah. I was in Toronto yesterday. It's really easy. Yeah. And we had a whole conversation offline very quickly about just the differences between the two. So uh, I guess welcome home because you were are you a you are a native of uh, Canada. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So my my wife and I are both Canadian. All of our kids are Canadian. Our youngest is dual. Um, So we we moved back this summer. So it's been 10 years in Nashville and uh, we are back home. All of our family live in driving distance. All of our parents live in driving distance that's of awesome. Hamilton. So that's been pretty great for the kids too. Yeah, I was going to say, it's helpful when you have kids, <laughs> especially, and I'm sure Big they time. love seeing them. Yep. So you have, I, I read a lot there. Um, you have a brand new album and I think that's really why we're talking today. You want to talk about the new album first? I mean, we'll go in reverse order. Let's sure. Talk about the new yeah, album yeah. First. Yeah, yeah. So um, my new record, The Work, Volume 2, has been out for a few weeks now. Um, It is uh, my pride and joy, other than my real pride and joy, which is my family, of course. But but, um, but no, I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, we've worked, I worked with Brent Milligan on it. So Brent Milligan is a producer and musician who's played on everything. He played bass on Jesus freak and he, he was in all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. Wow. Um, he produced, uh, 
Colony House and David Crowder Band and Torn wow. Wells and all kinds of stuff. So this is this guy's a legend and a good friend of mine. So we started working on the record almost three years ago. So it's probably the longest time I've ever worked on any record is is this record. Um, I would say it's it's a, a record that holds. Uh, and I don't know how, as a believer, I don't know how somebody could engage uh, culture as it is right now without, at best, trying to hold frustration and hope in tension. Mm, okay. And I think sometimes it feels like in Christian music, there's an expectation that we kind of don't acknowledge the frustration element like mm. hey hey there's a lot of things we're doing pretty poorly in public right, right. as as right. christians right. and so it's like hey we should probably i mean you read the psalms for example the songbook of the bible mm-hmm. and you've got you've got david threatening to murder a guy a, <laughs> a, a passage away from right. you know infinite hope and mm-hmm. so you kind of have this this contrast that's very very present in the songbook of the bible that we've often left out of contemporary song and so i I sort of went at this going, I want this record to feel really bittersweet. I don't want someone mm. to, to leave it depressed. I want them to leave with a sense of hope, but I don't want it to be a hope disconnected from the reality of what life is like right now. And so, wow. so we really set out to do that before COVID. That was in 2019 mm. where we first said that. And then it only became more and more and more prescient as time went on and the songs that we wrote for this record seems to be even more relevant than we understood when we wrote them. So it, um, they're very, it's very earnest, very much about my own journey. And it's very much a journey in and of itself as an album from beginning to end, uh, really trying to hold that, those things in tension. I, I love that. Honestly, do I, my, two of my favorite albums. Well, one of them just, just came out, Toby Max, uh, newest, uh, album and mm-hmm. Toby's fantastic. But, but, you know, I, I think when you know the story and the pain, mm-hmm. uh, to your point, the pain behind the music, um, and then Stephen Chris Chapman wrote one called beauty will rise, uh, how, oh, yeah. how many years ago now when his, when his daughter uh, tragically passed, yeah. beauty will rise is my modern day Psalms. Um, right. Because every song he's wrestling with um, just life and pain and hurt and questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how many times I've gone back to Beauty Will Rise and listened over and over and over again. Because what I do love is, to your point, too, I think he resolves every song at the end um, with, but I'm still going to praise you. You know what I mean? Like, right, I don't understand right. this. This hurts. Um, I, there's questions I can't answer, but I'm going to praise you. And I think that it sounds like that's what this album is very much like. Yeah, kind of. I mean, probably there there may be moments uh, on this record that are like there's a song called The Gospel is Rest, which is probably one of the more popular songs on the record so far. Um, and it it is interesting because if you read through the lyrics, I don't really land in a resolved place. Mm. It's more of a recognition of need. Mm. Yeah. And so I think I think that I think sometimes we you know, and it's true. We, we move from confession to, you know, absolution and all of that. But, but there is right. a sense, in which, and even in the Psalms, there are sometimes just unfinished prayers. There's right. unfinished thoughts. And, right. and, and, and I think, I think that that probably rings true in the lives of most Christians. I mean, I right. think the idea, it, anyone can relate to the idea that we have hope unfulfilled. In fact, um, I think there is baked into the Christian story a a now but not yet 
mm. which is the reality of the Christian life. We have a future hope that is not fully realized. Right. And we and and we we just create crazy people when we tell them that they ought to have a hope fully realized all of the time. It just ends up with this real this real cognitive dissonance that the Bible actually isn't asking us to have. And so I, so I think there's this, uh, to me, I'm quite okay with the idea that we have some prayers that are unanswered. And I think we probably need to help people feel comfortable with that. I, at the same time, yes, many of the songs do exactly that thing. They go from the recognition of what it is to some form of acceptance and love and, and gratitude and, and kind of pointing it towards God as we all do, including our, our pain. Um, and so th this, there's several ways in which that kind of plays out on this record. Um, but there are examples where, uh, and it, funny enough, there's actually, um, I remember in the nineties and two thousands, there was a lot of talk about, uh, angry music being really bad for teenagers because mm. be angry music meant that they were becoming angry people. And what's fascinating is all the science has gone the other way, which shows that angry music tends to be cathartic for angry people really? and that, and that like, you know, elevator music, if you will, tends to enrage angry people. So there's, okay. there's, there's kind of this hilarious misconception about, you know, sometimes part of what music is doing is helping us process. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's almost like a healthy outlet for certain emotions or at least a healthy mechanism for certain emotions. Um, and that's of course a give or take, you know, there's, there's, a, or, or there, there's, there's nuance to that. I'm sure you can have too much of a good thing, right. but, but there is a sense in which like being able to process through music and prayer. And that's what worship music is. Ultimately it's prayer. Mm. It's, it's prayer that helps us. It's language that helps us speak to God without having to figure out, without having to conjure everything up as we go in terms of words. And, and it, it allows for a repetitive sense which plays a huge, in my opinion, and I have all kinds of reasons for this, a huge formative role, a discipleship role. Like worship music is discipling us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's the question of what it's discipling us like, but, right. but there is, it is discipling us. Music forms us. And so there's something to that kind of repetitive process, being able to process emotions in a way that is healthy and good. And I, I don't know, I'm grateful to be some small part of the corner of music but but that's you know oftentimes when i approach a worship record like this one that's that's what i'm thinking of in my own life and what i'm trying to help people do have you seen a shift it feels like there's a shift um you know for the night you mentioned the 90s so you had your jars of clay and your dc talks and your whatever's um and i love me some 90s christian music i do I love me some yeah 90s ccm but there's been a shift it seems like and and you know there's still bands the casting crowns the mercy me's uh you know uh, that are still putting out great music. Uh, but it feels like it's not, I don't know how, I don't know what to call that. Um, let's just still call it contemporary Christian music, but I feel like worship music is now making a rise. I don't know if that's true or not, but. I oh, that, yeah. I mean, that rise worships. on paper, that rise is well established. Yes. Is it? Okay. So they, so, oh yeah. yeah they're, you're, they're, you're they've been Maverick dominant cities, for a long time. Uh, elevation worship. I mean, it's just, it feels like there's a boom happening in the praise and worship side. Is that, you, you said that on paper, what, like, have, is, is yeah, that that's, true? that's been the case for over a decade. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's been, it's, it's, uh, overwhelmingly, um, if you look at the charts, for example, or Christian airplay, even, um, it's overwhelmingly worship music, uh, yeah. the, uh, 60, 70%. Um, what's interesting, and I'm actually involved in a research project, 
across three different schools, which is bizarre how I ended up involved in this, but um, we're actually looking at some of those questions in terms of the role of the relationship between music publishing and, and worship leaders at the church level and their understanding of these things. It's really going to be fun. Could, could get me in a lot of trouble, but, um, but uh, what's fascinating actually is if you look by association and this is a little off putting Mm -hmm. is how small a group that is. So if you look at, if worship music is dominating Christian music, which it is for the most part, and worship music consists of artists and writers associated with basically four church movements in, in, in all three, three of which are in America, one in Australia and, uh, and those four church movements, almost all like, it's like 70%. I don't know the actual number offhand, but a very, very significant percentage of the songs that are sung in measured by CCLI, which is kind of the measuring body for church music. Right. Right. Um, the, the very significant number of those are all either attached to or directly from these four churches. And I don't even know that they all belong to denominations. So there's kind right. of this like right. very market oriented right. thing coming from the church, which is a, it's a weird, we're in a weird moment, It is, I think. Yeah. And then unfortunately, and I think we'll, we'll get into this. Um, I think, I was going to ask you about a phrase that's very popular right now called deconstructing your faith. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but. Oh yeah. And I think it's, it's born out of um, a few of the churches, probably in those four that you mentioned. One of them particularly has gone through quite a bit of storm. Uh, There's documentaries now about these things. And so it's interesting that we have worship music that's been put out by this church that's suddenly under a lot of questions and scandal and problems and, right. you know I mean? And, and again, I'm not here to judge any of that. I'm really not. Yeah. I just, I'm, it's curious that uh, it's almost like a uh, pop artist that is fall that fell, that has right. had a massive, you know, public failure, let's call it. Right. 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 Um, what happens when that's tied to your church? Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's weird. It gets weird fast. And I mean, it yeah. was, and it, what's interesting is that the, in the case of Hillsong, um, it's not come from the music side at all. It's all right. been pastoral leadership. Right. And, and, you know, I remember I was joking the other day, I remember in the nineties and two thousands, how much hand wringing all of us worship leaders did about character and morality, just a real fear of mm-hmm. the worship leader as a rock star mentality. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, that was healthy, but, but I think we might've had the the magnifying glass pointed in the wrong direction, given what's right. happening in leadership circles these days. Right. So it's, right. it's, it's kind of a weird moment, honestly. And I, I don't say that to, to judge anybody. It's hard no. to do all of those things, but it, Absolutely. it is a, it is a strange time. I mean, I think as far as deconstruction, it's, it's one of those things where um, it's, it's, it's a strange conversation because what deconstruction is in academic circles is simply the examination of the components of an idea Mm -hmm. on some level, something like deconstruction. And by that, I mean, again, not the abandonment of Christian faith, although that is sort of in the zeitgeist in culture, that is kind of how it's used thrown around that way. But in academic circles, deconstruction is discipleship one oh one. It's wow. saying, what does this mean and what does it mean to me now and how should I understand it? So if you're, if you're looking at the Bible and trying to discern, say, 
an idiosyncrasy within your church or some some unusual practice that your church has compared to say the Christian church throughout all the years, right? right. That practice is a deconstructive practice. You're saying this part isn't actually Christian. This part is just Baptist. Mm. And I need to know the difference between that, which is Baptist and that, which is always Christian. Right. And, and I could still believe the Baptist thing, but I have to know the difference between Christian orthodoxy as a whole, the kind of ecumenical Christian faith that binds us all in all, all brothers and sisters together across the world. That is distinct from so many of these idiosyncratic things. And the problem we have in churches is that we're not often raised to go through that process, mm-hmm. which forces young people who have access to the internet and can read history easily, right? It sure. forces those people, if our culture isn't saying, hey, if we're not specific, if pastors aren't specific, if our teachers aren't specific, and we say Christianity teaches, and we say things that Christianity doesn't teach, then we force kids into a false binary. Mm. We force them to make a choice they don't have to make. Right which is right. between this version of Christianity and abandoning the faith. Right. And that it feels to me like that is in a lot of ways, the soup that evangelicalism has been where it's like, it's, it's all this or nothing. Yeah. When in reality, the Christian faith is 2000 years old with incredible, beautiful tradition and art and story and understanding. And, and there's a lot to be gained from that. And that's been my experience for years and years. I mean, the city harmonic came out of, an interdenominational movement, churches from different denominations working together in mission. That's what I knew. And so coming into kind of a more uh, stringent environment as we got into the States was a surprise to me. I didn't, it was, it was new to me. So, so, uh, you know, it it doesn't surprise me that kids might grow up in a really, really, really strict uh, environment and then feel like they have no choice, but to abandon things if they're going to ask questions at all. Yeah. Um, but it ought not be that way. Right. It ought, right. it ought to be that we are saying, Hey, we've all got this beautiful diamond. What is it that's most true of it? What is it within its context? What is it within my own life? What is it within historical study that we can say, Oh yeah, this, this is real and true and good, regardless of culture, regardless of this or that. Um, and, and that to me is the work of the Christian. Mm. So, and I think so, yeah. it takes it full circle because it takes it back to the music that you're, you're writing. Because if we don't, we get lost in the, the probably the pain and the questions and the, the difficult prayers that we're asking God. And we don't get to a resolution because we haven't even resolved it within ourselves. Yeah, we oh, totally. Resolved this faith that we call faith. <laughs> because at some point it does come down to faith. It comes yep. down to trust. And yep. it comes down to, um, you know, and if if we're not solid in that. I had a pastor friend tell me uh, recently, we were having a conversation about this and he said, the problem with deconstructing is the fact that that means you're constructing something. And his point was, I think a lot of people are stuck in the deconstruction and they're walking away completely, or they're not, they're not constructing something back. You know, they're not putting it all back together. The pieces, as you just said, so eloquently, your words are much better than mine, but, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I don't think they're putting the pieces back together to form their understanding of this thing we call faith. And I yeah, think, and I think it's, and it's unanchored. Right. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the idea that, um, it, I mean, the idea of an unanchored deconstruction in general is silly. Mm-hmm. Like we, we all go through life with, and this isn't a criticism of the idea in general. It's just a, a, 
I, to me, it seems a fact of philosophy. Right. If, if, if you're going through life, you are taking something for granted. Mm. You're not rebuilding your entire worldview every time you talk. Right. And so if, if that's the case, you're coming at big questions with some presuppositions. Call them in philosophy, they're called first principles. The irreducible belief, the belief that is behind the belief, behind the belief, behind the belief. And so there's no such thing as deconstructing in a vacuum. And so if you're going to engage in this process, on some level, you may have to say, and it may involve some doubt, and I think that's healthy. It, it, it may involve some doubt of saying, okay, I'm not sure about this belief I've been told. I'm going to examine it from, I mean, if, if, if the Christian gospel is true, then it stands up to scrutiny. Mm. And, and I, th I think we should allow such scrutiny and be the sort of people who, you know, have conversations and do robust work. And, and I mean, and that's my faith is strong in part because I was given that room. I was given the room to ask those questions. And, and I, there were certain idiosyncrasies that I found wanting, but in general, the story of Jesus, I did not find wanting and, and mm. the history of the resurrection, I do not find wanting. And so I, I think there's a lot to that. That's a, you know, years and years of life wrapped up right. in that. But for right. me, I'm great. I'm grateful that it started 18 years ago, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, so I think there's a bit of a tricky spot because you've got some people in Christian music, uh, one in particular, I, I won't name, but who's spoken about the deconstruction topic as if it's like some kind of evil scourge. Um, and I'm left going like, I, I can't, I can't help but feel like he's either, he's either knowing what the word really means and choosing to ignore it. And it's just using this word as a rallying cry to, to, or something like that. Right. To me, it all seems really, it seems like the, the, it seems to exacerbate the problem, not, and I, I know this, I don't know this guy personally, but I know him having, having been around him enough to know he means super well. Yeah. Um, right. But, right. but like, to me, that's actually, that approach is what's causing this. Mm. Like it, we're leaving kids feeling like they can't ask bona fide, thoughtful questions without being othered out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a real problem. Yeah. So, so I, I look at this with a heart for my peers, with a heart for the kids coming up under me. And I mean, I'm not a kid anymore, but you know, and I, and, and I think, man, the church needs to be a place where we ask and are open to robust, difficult questions or we will lose to the internet. Right. And, and, we're, and we're not at war with the internet. You know not, what I mean? Like, we're not. And not everything you read on the internet is true. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and unfortunately, and, not everything that comes from the pulpit is biblical. So you have this, you have this kind of tension where we can work it out. We, yeah. we have the resources and the tools and a lot of smart people to work it out. But we need to leave room to work it out. Hey everyone, my name is Cami Pranel and I'm the Executive Director for My Unscripted. We hope you are enjoying today's interview. My Unscripted is dedicated to helping others find their voice, passion, and follow their dreams. Our team can help create websites, apps, YouTube channels, podcasts, media, and social content. Whatever your passion and vision, we can help. Our good friend Manny Ahome of Samaritan's Feet once said, make sure your dreams and goals are big enough to create room for others to join you. We've created room for you to join us too. 
Find out more at myunscripted.com. Now let's join Aaron for the second half of today's interview. And look, I, I mean, I think the book of Job and uh, Psalms, I mean, there's multiple scriptures, but uh, particularly the book of Job, you know, and, and he had every right, I think, to question, you know, I yep. mean, the guy was going through it. So for yeah. him, him to be able to ask tough questions and his friends ask tough questions of him and his faith, yep. I think is, is all very fair. I think that's healthy. Yep. It's in scripture. And so if it's in scripture, it's true. And I think we've, we've gotten away from that because we wanted this um, touchy feely, comfortable, you know, I don't know. I, I just think Christianity sometimes, uh, and I think we've done a better job, especially particularly in worship music, Christian music, maybe album like yours, um, being okay with saying that, man, this is difficult. I have five friends right now going through cancer, five mm -hmm. different friends. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't have answers for that and mm -hmm. I can't fix it and I can't help them. And mm -hmm. that's real, like that's real mm -hmm. life, you know? And, and, um, that's the kind of faith that I think we have to really wrestle with and, ask God those tough questions when we go to prayer, um, yep. a, approach the throne with confidence. I believe it mm -hmm. says in scripture, we should go with confidence, but also we should be confident in our questions because mm -hmm. they're very hard to tie an answer to, but we want this. Right. I, I, I don't like Christian movies. <laughs> I completely dude, different topic. I, I feel you. I feel you. Don't worry. <laughs> I love the platform. I love what they want to do. And that's no disrespect to, to I think they'll get there. Christian movies. What's that? I think they'll get there. I think they will. I, I just want a more Christian movie sometime. That's, that's really real. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and there are some, I, I, again, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but I just feel like a lot of times you watch a Christian movie and it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it all ties off at the end and everything's perfect and everybody wins. And, you know, and I, I just, sometimes I wrestle with that because that's not life. And I have friends. Well, that exactly. I've, yeah. I have, I have friends that have gone to their funeral and it didn't end well, you know, it didn't, it, clearly it didn't end like we all yeah. hoped it would. And the cancer didn't go away or, you know, there, you just get on the list. And so totally. I think it is fair to have those conversations, but, uh, I appreciate that. It has nothing to do with your album or maybe it does have, no, to do it's with your well, album. I, I mean, a, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, I, th I think the reality is that the, the world that we live in, the Christian space that we're in is filled with people asking these questions. Yeah. It's not, it's not an issue of whether or not they're asking the questions. Right. It's whether or not we are creating a space where they can, where they believe they can find answers. Mm. So if they believe that they can only find answers elsewhere, they are going elsewhere. Right. Right. And, and so the, the, the ro Christian rock stars yelling about the deconstruction movement of the world are rallying against the people they claim to want to save. Mm. So it's, it's just tribalism in practice. It doesn't wow. do anything for the kingdom except yell out a bunch of people who are the people in the gutter, the back of the room. Wow. And so I think like it, I, I can't, I can't fathom Jesus rallying the 45 and telling the 55 to get lost because they're the scourge of the, I, I don't, right. I, I don't read that, right. Right. you know? Right. Um, so, so I, I, I'm, I'm sort of in a spot where this album isn't about that per se, but certainly has moments where that's on the table in terms of who are we talking to and what are we talking about? That's very much it. Like the song expectation, the opening track wrestles with that a little bit. Um, there's a song on the record called Kyrie Eleison. It's mercy. We need um, okay. that's just Latin or, or, or Greek. So there's this mm -hmm. sort of ancient prayer. It just means Lord, have, Lord have mercy on us basically. 
Um, and it was a song co-written with Zach Bolin of citizens. Um, and so it's a, it features citizens. Um, we, we got together and we didn't know that the podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill was about to come out, but, but, but he had been part of Mars Hill. Citizens was part of Mars Hill. He was part, he, he, Zach signed the letter. So that's, there's that. Um, so, and I had had an experience in a much smaller church environment with no media department, no podcast, uh, with a similarly domineering personality, a very, very significant person in my life, to be honest. But, um, and, and so Zach and I kind of became friends and we're talking about, uh, that shared experience and Mm. that song somewhat came out of, for me, it's, it was years and years ago. And for Zach, it was five years ago. And so that song came out of our sort of reflections on with the gift of hindsight, looking back and because obviously there's a little bit of anger and mistrust and all of these Mm -hmm. things that come out of these on some level, faith is social. It is a thing. You belong to a church. You're part of a church. You're part of a group of things, of people. And so like when the people involved fail you, it can really rock the boat. Absolutely. And so, and so like, I I think looking back, part of what we land with is like, yes, we need to be like, I'm reminded, we're reminded of this, the Orthodox prayer, the Jesus prayer. Uh, uh, What is it? Uh, Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. Like Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think like it's, it's so fundamental to remember that mercy, the mercy of God to us, to me, is at the center of the Christian story. And and that involves mercy to me, that involves me constantly saying to myself, which is actually the idea, to say that prayer throughout the day, almost right. like a like a like a, if you will, a mantra or some kind of meditative practice. Um you say that prayer throughout your day. Well that's also the same attitude with which we approach other people. I'm because I'm given mercy, mm-hmm. uh, they also deserve mercy. Now, does that mean there are, of course, there's leadership implications. Of course, there's what sort of role do they play? But we don't really get to demonize and outcast people. They can lose their job. They can lose their influence. They can lose their role. Um, but they don't lose their humanity. Wow. You know, and I think right. there's something in that, that we're struggling with in our day and age. And that's sort of where that song came to is like, Lord have mercy on us. Yeah. Like that's, we, we don't know what we're doing. We're the, we're the thief on the cross. Yes. Tell, telling everybody that we've got it right. And it's, it's a, it's a really fascinating moment. So that song Kyrie Eliason is really about that. Um, that, that moment in time, both for Mars Hill and in my own life and, and some of the implications of it. It's fascinating because that, that, podcast. I, I was a fan of Mars Hill early, you know, in, in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and particularly Mark, I think Mark came in so hot <laughs> um, into the Christianity and he was different. He was edgy and he was raw and all those kind of things. Um, but I do know that that podcast, uh, I've shared it. It has been, you know, I've, I've talked to friends that listen to it and many of them it's triggering. Um, I had more than one yep. tell me I couldn't get past like episode one or two. 
because uh, it's like oh, six wow. or eight or how many episodes it is. Yeah. Like, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it because it's not, not necessarily Mars Hill. It's the church that they were a part of or a church that they were on staff in or a yeah. team that they were a part of. Uh, it's very triggering for people. And that's uh, unfortunate um, mm-hmm. that, that we have those stories, but we're human. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought that was a very powerful podcast. So it's amazing. You wrote a song out of that. That's incredible. Yeah, we had no idea it was coming, and then and then the podcast came out like a month after we wrote it, and we were like, wow. "Oh, okay, right. well, I guess there we struck a nerve here." <laughs> um, right. So that's 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 uh, yeah, and it's been interesting hearing people's stories as they've heard the song, and and uh, it's it's probably the least congregational song on the record. It kind of hits hard and and is very kind of uh, grimy and has a really heavy beat to it, and. So, and what's cool about it actually is because we were still in the, not in the middle of lockdown, but lockdown was still a factor Yeah, when we produced that song. Um, so we ended up doing this crowdsourced choir. And so we had people, the, the whole traditional choir you hear singing the Kyrie, um, is made up of people uploading their own recording that they did in their own house from around the world. Wow. So it's the, and and then we kind of did a composition of that and they did all their harmonies and we edited it all together. And so the whole core, the whole chorus is this crowdsourced thing. So there's some symbolism to that for me being really nerdy that I love. I love that we have the global church essentially singing Christ have mercy on us while we wrestle with the implications of our own mistakes. That's so cool. I mean, that that is so cool that that it is that that larger um, story behind it behind the music I guess you'd say mm-hmm. so yeah yeah how how do you um how do you write a song like I've oh, asked this man. to a few artists that I've talked to is it is it you're sitting on a bus or a a plane or at the park or with your kids or you know I mean is it is it how do you write a song and when did you become a songwriter oh man um. So I started writing music when I was like 10. I might've even actually started writing like joke songs. Like I, my friend and I, I remember this time in fourth grade. I don't know how old are you in fourth grade anyway, but um, in fourth grade on a lunch hour, it was too hot. And so my friend and I took a tape recorder into like a room beside the school, beside the playground and we like made joke songs like Weird Al Yankovic style. Um, and we did that. And then, and then that continued, like I was, I was in bands all through middle school and high school. And so I've, I don't, I've never not like as far back as I can remember, I've written songs. I don't yeah. know why I thought to do that. Um, I don't remember the moment where I realized I could, mm-hmm. um, but I always did. Uh, my process, my process is, is, there's this great uh, moment in a documentary uh, about the uh, Elton John record, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm. And uh, he talks about how Bernie Taupin would write lyrics and then mail those lyrics in to the studio where they were going to be recording that record. So that record wow. was made like three weeks or something like that. And so in the morning, Elton would walk in and open the bump, the mail and and find the lyrics essentially complete or something like that. And then he would go and the guitar player was saying that while he was putting cream cheese on his bagel, 
El- Elton would take the lyrics to the piano and just bang out the song. Wow. And then wow. they'd record it, they'd record it by lunch. Wow. And uh, so what, like what a gift. What a, right, seriously. But I took from that that there's some magic. We technically it's called prosody. Some magic between the connection between lyric, the emotion of a lyric and the music that Absolutely. is hard to do when you put all the pressure on doing both now. Yeah. Wow. So if you're if you're like I have to sit down and write the music and write the lyric, you're often problem solving more than you're making magic. In other words, you're going like I need a rhyme. Here's a rhyme. Or, or and so you you end up with what is sometimes not a great uh you end up creating cognitive dissonance between the lyrical quality, the emotional quality within a lyric and the uh music itself. And Christian music is often very guilty of this where we have very peppy peppy sounding things or very we make sad things sound happy. And that's jarring, I think, for people. So what I tend to do instead is I will sit down most mornings. We just got a grand piano back in our house finally after the move. I've been without a piano for several months and it's been, oh, no. I, my soul has shriveled up to a tiny <laughs> rock. Right. Um, You're playing a Casio but, or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing <laughs> at all. It's been horrible. But um, but the the uh, what I would normally do is have breakfast and then take my coffee and go sit at the piano and I would play and i would just record as a voice memo on my phone whatever it is i'm playing and if and i'll usually settle into some kind of melody and often separate of that entirely sometimes that'll turn into me recording something or i'll sing a little thing but i'm like singing gibberish i'm like you know and i'll or i'll sing any words which sound good together just to see does this sound like something singable and and i'll i'll put that away i'll that idea i don't put any pressure on it that day for me to turn around and turn that thing into a song. And I'll have a separate notepad of lyrical ideas and prompts, which might become a song. And every once in a while, I'll sit down and I'll look through my prompts and I'll listen through my voice. And I'm like, oh, this really feels like this. The emotion of this music is the emotion of this lyric. And then I'll write it. And I've I've got a starting point on both. I've got a head start on both. Um, So it's a little bit like a factory in that like, I'm always doing both things, but I don't put that much pressure on myself to finish everything that comes through. It's like I have a documenting system and I use that documenting system to great effect. Wow. Uh, most of that was way over my head. <laughs> 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 that, was, that was incredible. I, but I, I've always been fascinated by it because, you know, and that's that's true for anything. Some people like they can look at a car engine and go, oh, yeah, it's this, 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 and they know how to do it. And then, you know, I think yep. we all, and again, I think we're all given those gifts. Uh, it's There's a reason why, like, you're really good at this. <laughs> there's a reason I'm not. <laughs> and because it's, you know, I don't have a voice or I, any of those things, but I've just always been fascinated with the songwriting because I, I love music. I just yeah. absolutely love music. And I think, like, if you tell me a time, pick a time, pick a moment, pick a place. I can tell you the song that was playing or the, yeah, the song yeah. that was in my mind. And yeah. uh, it's just the soundtrack of my life. So now when I hear those songs, I go back to where I was mentally that day, that time, that moment, physically too, it, it even things like. So anyway, very interesting. I'm fascinated by all of it. So you have a gift, my friend. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. Have you heard um, a re- one of the things about that musical, you were talking about how music cements memories for you, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. It's one of the reasons that I that I do what I do. Um, neuro, in neuroscience, they've started to look at how we understand memory. 
And so one of the crazy things that we've learned is that we tend to think in our society um, about memory wrongly. We think about memory in terms of time, like you would think, oh, February 5th, or you would think, oh, January 10th or 11 o'clock, right? Right. But your brain doesn't work like a computer in the way that it organizes information. It organizes information in a divided way, and those divisions tend to align with your senses. So when you remember something, you're not remembering 10 o'clock on Tuesday, your right. brain is rebuilding, reconstructing, weirdly enough, a, <laughs> a, the, the event of what it is based on the stimuli and the senses involved. Wow. So when there, if there's a smell, if right. there's music playing, if there's, these all help the brain to more accurately build memories. Amazing. So it's a Amazing. shortcut to it's a shortcut to to more concrete or at least more vivid memory. And yeah. so that's part of why I think things like music and even smells and and sounds and and all of it and touch why these things matter so much in the faith, why communion isn't a yes. vague idea but a meal because there's mm. something tangible something intangibility that cements memory in a way that abstract concepts simply don't on their own. So we, we connect these things by rebuilding them. We re rebuild them by the senses. So music, communion, these touchy-feely practices actually end up fundamental to the human experience if we're going to remember anything at all. Wow. So I have to, and you've given so much time. I think I feel like we have to do these again because there's so much I'm learning <laughs> in this, and and we could probably do multiple. I'm having episodes. a lot of fun. <laughs> this is fascinating. It really is, and I hope everybody listening enjoys it as well. I think they will because it's uh, very deep. It's very very deep. Um, I, well, have thank you. you found that your study of the brain and science and uh, music and all these things? Uh, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I have to think that that. Has that not solidified your faith in the fact well, that yeah, it has, this yeah. doesn't just happen? Like there had to no, be no. These a, things don't just happen. Design. That's right. Yes, exactly. It does, and I think I think I'm I'm saddened and hopeful at the same time. Saddened in that, like so many people are taught to believe that science is somehow in opposition to their faith. Mm -hmm. And I, my experience has been the opposite. The more right. I learn about the world, and the more science is uncovering. Um, the more it's like, oh wow, that's exactly that makes perfect sense. Like, right. and 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 often, often too, that uh, Christian tradition and human tradition is often wiser than we've given it credit. Right. So there, we can end up with a pretty strange understanding of what humans are like, and then we find as science continues to unpack and all that, because science is a moving target, right? So mm -hmm. as science continues to unpack we see, oh shoot, maybe years and years and years and years of practice, even if they didn't know why, produced something that was more aware of what humans are actually like than we often are. Right. And, and I, and, and I, th I think that's, that's a really, really, that's been profound in my own life. And, and uh, I, I think it, yeah, it motivates me in every time I sit down at the piano or the guitar or, or anything to say, Hey, what, how is this going to shape somebody's tomorrow? You know, wow! I love that question. That's a great question. That's a great way to approach uh, music because it will shape somebody's tomorrow. Somebody's going to hear your your album. It may very well be me, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it's going to leave. Like I said, uh, all the way back to Stephen Chris Chapman's album. Um, yeah, 
that is my go-to. I, it, I keep it on, <laughs> keep it on close because, uh, you know, there's times where I just have to go and, and find that. So I have a feeling I'm going to very much tie in with yours as well. Oh um, man. Yeah. And you'd love to hear what you think. Oh, dude, you're incredibly uh, gifted and talented and wise. And um, well, thank you. You're being kind, but I know I know I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm very, very, being very, very honest. And anyway, listens to this podcast knows that I'm I'm well outclassed in the in the uh, <laughs> in the just uh, <laughs> mental capacity. I think is <laughs> I don't even know the words. I can't even think of word because I'm not that bright. So all right, um, let's talk about where people can find you. Um, yes, you have, yes. but you also have other albums as well. So where can they find I do. You? Yeah. You can find, if you look up Elias Dummer, that's E L I A S D U M M E R. Um, you'll find me on Spotify, Apple music, all that stuff. That's also my handle on Instagram and TikTok. I really enjoy the video side of that. It's been a lot of fun and, so and I, I, I'm really enjoying the kind of dialogue side of that and the kind of, you know, so I do a lot of videos on there talking about this stuff. Um, so those I'm, I'm in all of those places. And if you're looking for my old band, uh, you'll find a bunch of records by the city harmonic. Um, and so that's all me, all of that. So that goes all the way back a while, a bunch of years now, but, um, yeah, so you can find me all, all those places, but eliasdummer.com is a good start and search my name. You'll find it. There's only one of me cause it's a very weird name. <laughs> kind of a central hub is your website. Is that the best place? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then they will find you on all the socials and uh, all those things, man, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Good luck on the new album. Uh, anybody listening, please go, go download it. Let's give it a listen. Uh, what helps you the most? I'm sorry. One last question. What helps you the most yeah. as an artist? Cause I know it's changed so much. It, I, I saw Matt Damon talking. I don't know if you saw that clip about, he's talking about uh, movies and why he feels like movies aren't as good as they used to be. And it, it all tied back to the fact that they used to come out on DVD and they got a lot of royalties back and a lot mm. more of the, uh, the money recouped. And now he was talking about how it goes streaming and they're not getting that same money. So now they're not put, putting that money back into the film because they're walking away broke. <laughs> Is yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that what he was can... saying. Is that the same in music? Uh, as as it, so I'm an independent artist now. We were in the label system for years. We finished our deal happily. Every all parties were happy, and now I have like a distribution deal with my label. So okay. I'm I'm indie. I'm indie. I've been indie as a solo artist. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I would prefer. I think the streaming model is better. Good. Okay. Perfect. So so the challenge is that the business model of the record labels has not caught up. In many cases. Right. So where really you have one or two artists at the top of the heap who are able to say that they make money at it. Um, and then the, the shared portion, if you will, of it is, is hard to divvy up between artists and labels. So that side of it stinks. Um, but as an, as an indie artist, uh, no, I, I, I have residual income that's there every time someone listens. That's That was not true. Once upon a time I made $10. That was it. And of yeah. that $10, I kept four. Jeez. So when someone bought a record, I kept $4. That was it, wow. right? And that's even the record that I sell at the show. Someone goes to the store and buys one. I make, you know, $2.10 or something in, in publishing. And then maybe if we're lucky, $1.50 in, in royalties. So that's, that's, the old, that's the old model. Yeah. So someone buys a record and I make two bucks. Well, now somebody listens to a record their entire life. And they listen, if it becomes part of their everyday life, like you were talking about with that yeah, Stephen Curtis sure. Chapman record, sure. I'm, I, might, I might be getting a small amount, but that right. small amount adds up. Right. And right. you multiply that across millions and it's like, I've got 
money that comes in a small amount, but enough that it's like, it doesn't not matter, you know, every month. And that, that money come in in every month is, is great. And great in that, like, not as in it's paying my mortgage, but great as in like, I'm I'm getting every single month I have income from this. So my, my take is that like, I actually think that the, the business model is shifting and it's, it's not, it's not the model that's broken. It's the fact that we haven't quite caught up. Wow. Interesting. Incredibly interesting. So the best way for people to support you is to go stream your album, go stream the album. And if, and if you want it, and one thing I'll say, and might get me in trouble, like Spotify is amazing. Spy. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just between you and I here and this red dot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Spotify is uh, really, really great for helping people discover new artists. Um, But in terms of like how artists get paid, there's quite a big variance between platforms. So Apple music pays, pays a lot more than Spotify, but reaches a lot fewer people. Um, Amazon music pays way, way more than all of them and reaches an even smaller group. So if you're like, I, I listen to four artists and I want them to make as much money as they can from it, then do that on Amazon. But you're gonna you're you're gonna find all kinds of new artists and be connected to new people on Spotify. So it's just each one has a different, a slightly different take. I love it, man. This has been so informative. Thank you for your time. I hope it's been worth your time. It's oh, it's so I have fun, man. So much, man. This has been unbelievable. So we awesome. will have to do this again. And yeah, uh, absolutely anytime. Always have a forum with us for sure, um, man. Thank you. The album again is called The Work Volume Two. Okay. And there's a work volume one as well. There is. Yes. Yes. That was, yeah. So the work volume two, go stream it today. Support, support allies. Thank you so much, man. This has been really awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Lots and lots of fun. All right. Good luck to you. We'll talk to you soon. If I'm ever in Toronto, I'll shout at you so you can come over and meet us. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good fun. And what's, is is this, is this, uh, like your, your day job, so to speak? Is this the main thing that you're doing? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we have a business that uh, that is uh, tied. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, we we have a business tied to this. Uh, this yeah. is the little engine that kind of does some things for us, but we have an entire business wrapped around it that does a lot more for everybody. Awesome. But this is my fun part of my job. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. This, so. Congrats, man. That's so really much, great. Man. Yeah, thank you very much. This has been really fun. Awesome. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Connor. Be sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out my song, Great and Mighty One, on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad.